Welcome to the CTNNB1 Connect and Cure podcast, your go-to place to hear the latest information, research, and happenings going on in the CTNNB1 community. Tune in to find comfort, community, and connection. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening and again to the Connect and Care podcast. Your continued support has truly been amazing. I'm your host, CTNNB1 mom, Annie Wood. To travel or not to travel has been the question lately on our family Facebook page. Many families understandably decide not to travel. It's just not worth the stress. In March, there was the first international CTNMB1 conference in Madrid, Spain. When I saw that Julie Anderson was attending, flying in from New Jersey, I knew I had to hear about her adventure there. Her passion for travel has long been a part of her life. She knows they've had to adapt, and it's not as easy as it used to be. However, she is still determined to keep it a part of their life. Please enjoy this episode with her today. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the Connect and Care podcast. I can't wait to hear about your travels to Madrid for the first international CTNMB1 conference. But first, tell us about Lily and your family so we can have some background. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, my family, we're the Anderson family in New Jersey, where uh, my husband and I, Dave, and we have also a son, Rohan, who's three years old, and then Lily. So Lily's journey, she was diagnosed after maybe, you know, about a year or so of trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, we went through a lot of the same steps that many of the families in this community have of going to a neurologist and getting an MRI of her brain and her spine and um, recognizing that she had low muscle tone and going through early intervention. And uh, the final step in trying to get a diagnosis was going to a geneticist. So she was diagnosed when she was one and a half. Uh, We went through the whole exome sequencing and yeah, at that point, she was diagnosed with CTNNB1 syndrome. And at that time, there were delays, I think, that we didn't fully process what the syndrome meant, like many other families. Um, you know, it, we were kind of given a pamphlet, told to join the Facebook group, and told that she would probably have speech delay and an abnormal gait. And at that point, at one and a half, she was still nonverbal and still uh, crawling. And I think at that point, I think we had a walker at that point uh, that she was still getting comfortable with. Um, But looking back at that time, I, I remember I had already fallen down a Google wormhole and spiraled (laughs) trying to figure out myself what it could possibly be and especially when I knew that she had some of the symptoms that are consistent with this syndrome like microcephaly and low muscle tone Um, I actually myself was I thought maybe she had cerebral palsy I know that's you know a hot topic right now in our group right Um, or some of the other common syndromes like commonly known ones I should say like Rett syndrome or Angelman or um And so I was really worried that she had something that might be degenerative or had a short lifespan. And I think when I found out those two things were ruled out, I had a lot of relief. 
But since that point, Lily has progressed a lot. You know, I just want to give some context to how Lily's syndrome presents. She is still nonverbal. Yeah. She's five years old. She is three and a half feet, 50 pounds, um, sugar and spice. She's the sweetest, <laughs> most loving girl. And then just fiery, you know, it's such a little diva. But yeah, she's still nonverbal. She is still unable to walk independently, but she can whip around on her walker like nothing. And then she uses an AAC tablet to communicate right now. Oh, great. Okay. Not so much at home. <laughs> She uses at school, at home. She kind of is like, I don't want to do that. Right. Needs a break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then she also has a lot of the behavioral issues that some of the other children have. Some pretty intense meltdowns. She can get overstimulated, very frustrated. Of course, that's connected to not being nonverbal, but uh, yes. she has some self-injurious behaviors. She can punch her own head. But with that said, she's just... A delight. She's a ball of light and joy. And she just is so loving and has such an impact on everyone she meets. I mean, she has this ability to just draw people to her and all her teachers and therapists and anyone that's close to her just absolutely adores her. That's awesome. I can't wait to meet her when we come to New Jersey. Yeah, we're so excited to meet you all. So when did you guys make the decision to go to Madrid? I originally saw Spella's post in our group about the conference. I think it was December of 2022. And I saw that it was in Madrid and it sparked something in me because I I love to travel. It was a big part of who I was and who I am still. And it, it was a big part of even um, my relationship with my husband. I mean, we used to explore and travel. We got engaged in Paris and we honeymooned in Sri Lanka and the Maldives. And when I was pregnant with Lily, we even went to Denmark and Iceland. And we always thought that when we had children, we would just extend our love of travel and exploring to the children and it would be part of our family. And of course, grounded in reality that traveling with children is difficult no matter what. And that we just thought, you know, it would happen less frequently, but it would still happen. And then, of course, things didn't happen as planned, um, you know, between getting Lily's diagnosis and all that entailed. And then the pandemic hit. And then we had my son in 2020. So travel pretty much stalled out. But when I, I saw Svelle's post about Madrid, I just thought this could be a really good opportunity. And maybe the timing is good. The children are three and five. They're a little bit more manageable. And yeah, this could be a good opportunity to reconnect back to who we were. And and then, of course, attending the conference was a big motivating factor. Uh, really wanted to learn more about all that's happening in research and progress towards a cure. I think that I had a vague idea. You know, you see the posts in, in our group and you read it, but I don't I don't have a science background and I kind of right. had an idea, but I thought for me to actually just immerse myself in, in it, that I could learn a lot more and then maybe, you know, advocate more or whatever. And, and then the biggest part was really connecting with other families. Uh, I said, I'd never actually met another family. I never met another CTN wow. one child. And I just craved wow. that connection yes. so much <laughs> That I thought, 
let's do it. And then I think um, the last part was really that the last factor is this was going to be some sort of a test, you know, I just thought, can we handle it? Um, what does international travel look like with a special needs child? And, and if we can, maybe we could do more of it in the future. And when I was thinking about that, like when I was thinking about the reasons and thinking about traveling with Lily and why we hadn't done it up to this point and thinking about why many other families opt not to travel with their special needs children, it's hard. And, you know, I know it's hard and it comes with a lot of considerations, but I was just thinking about how special needs people, disabled people have been just shut away for most of time, you know, not included in things and afraid to be out in the public. Yeah, exactly. And and of course, I can understand why. But I think that we're all fighting for inclusion, right? So great way to do that is to make our children and make people like our children more visible. And I think the best way to make spaces and places more accommodating for different types of people is to include them in the world. And they're just as entitled to be out in these spaces and enjoy life just as much as everyone else. Definitely. Yeah, these are a lot of different reasons, but those were all of the motivating factors. I'm sure when you saw it, you're like, oh, here's our sign. We're supposed to try (laughs) traveling again. Like we haven't in so long. We haven't met families before. So when you saw, all right, there's going to be a conference in Spain. Let's let's do it. Let's get our feet wet again with traveling and let's try this. Yeah, exactly. And we hadn't been to Madrid. You guys. So how did you guys prepare to travel internationally? How did you prepare for the trip? So it required a lot of planning and strategizing and Looking back to when Dave and I used to travel, we could just grab a bag, plan out a whole itinerary and just go. And that's not the case this time. We had to, (laughs) yeah, I mean, we had to really think about and plan for literally every step of the way. And I started by Googling traveling with a special needs child. I wanted to get perspective on maybe how other families had done it and uh, tips and tricks and, and, you know, any kind of suggestions. And I actually, I follow a page, I did this before even considering going to Spain, there's um, an Instagram page called Accessible Adventures. And it's a family that has a child with epilepsy. And they go camping and they, you know, they're out doing all sorts of adventures. And so I, I'd been following her and, you know, wanted to get an idea of how they managed to get around. And so I kind of had already been thinking about it in that sense, but I was considering, you know, when I was preparing and strategizing, I was kind of looking into this. And then I also consulted our group. I mean, the best resource that there is. Yes. You know, I searched because I I wanted to find out how some of the other children have handled long haul flights. So Lily has been on domestic flights. We'd gone, you know, two at most five hours. uh, And that was when she was 10 months old and it was much easier. But I wanted to find out how the other children had handled it and and what the parents did. And, you know, I got some really great suggestions. And I think one of the fathers actually mentioned giving out care packages to the other passengers around, like a, a note and some headphones we didn't do that, but I think that's a great idea. <laughs> um, Super cute. Yeah. So I, that, those were some of the steps. And then I did some digging into Spain. You know, I wanted to make sure that it was a country that was 
accommodating for Lily that because we did bring her chair. So she has a bus stroller that we essentially use as her wheelchair and we bring it everywhere. It's just helped us move around just in general. Right. And so I just wanted to make sure that wheeling her around was going to be something that wasn't too difficult to do. So that's something. And actually I did through my research find that Spain was, you know, accessible country for people with disabilities. That's awesome. You did a lot of research. Oh yeah. (laughs) Put some time into this. (laughs) I mean, I'm a little crazy. I just, I was so nervous about, I'm so nervous in general about going somewhere and being just unprepared, you know? And I think I was so, I wanted to plan for like I, we, my husband and I really thought about like every hour and what we would be doing and how to fill that. Like I was thinking about things that might even be silly. Like where can I get diapers for Lily? Like Lily is, you know, a bigher kid and she wears six right. pull-ups. Like if I need to get diapers in Spain, I just want to make sure I'm not there kind of scrambling. Of course there's oh, yeah. internet and you know, all of that. So I probably wouldn't have been, but I just wanted to know before I went. So I planned for that. Like, you know, I asked some of the Spanish mothers in the group, okay, if I need to get larger diapers, where can I go? And some of them even looked up to where we were staying because we rented an apartment in in Madrid, uh, some of the nearby pharmacies, and you can go here. And even something like, how do we get from the airport to our apartment? I mean, I can't just jump into a cab and go or even jumping onto the metro or the bus, I have to think about, you know, carrying Lily and packing the chair and then my other son in our bags. All the things. (laughs) Which, like I said, is is difficult with any child, but then you have this added layer with a a child that can't walk. So So how did everyone handle the travel and the flights and everything getting there? You know what? They, I had so much anxiety beforehand and I talked to you about this a little bit when we were messaging and they did great. And like Lily especially did great. And I think this was another example of me underestimating Lily, which I think I often do. I'm just so anxious about, you know, I guess my mind often wanders to like, what the worst possible things that could happen and then what are we going to do? And I just thinking about Lily in this confined space for a long time, what if she has a meltdown? What are we going to do? You know, and it's not so much I'm worried about people staring. I'm just looking at her in such discomfort and not having the tools and the comfort of home is scary for me. (laughs) Yeah. How many times does fear as a parent keep us from doing things? I think a lot of it's fear. So true. So, yeah, so she did great. I mean, people were, I guess they were commenting. Your kids did a great job there and back. We had to plan a little bit. We did an overnight flight there, which helped. We gave them both melatonin. I don't usually give my son melatonin, but we just wanted to make sure that they slept. So, yeah, they handled it. Lily handled it like a champ. I think the only little bit difficult part was changing her diaper. I I can't just bring her into this tiny airplane bathroom. So it did require a little bit of like contorting and, you know, but we managed it. We just made it work. Yeah. And then I would say that if anything, I overestimated myself because I didn't sleep at all. (laughs) Like you think about, (laughs) I just thought, okay, I'm going to sleep a little bit on the plane and I'm going to go right to the conference and just when your child is sleeping on you and you're like in this cramped little chair, I think if I could afford first class, uh, you know, to have more comfort, I would always fly first class. But that's why we're good going on adrenaline as parents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I think 
uh, other than like the actual flight itself, the travel part of getting to and from, I will say it was physically demanding um, just between the bags and the children and the strollers and Lily's chair. And um, we kind of anticipated that. Like my husband, I just remember like I'm looking over him as he's carrying Lily and a carry on bag down the aisle. And, you know, you have to stop, wait for other people to put their bags and he's just sweat is pouring down his face. But um, we were prepared for it and we knew that it would be temporary till we got to the place. And I think a lot of this is, setting realistic expectations and knowing that parts of it are going to be challenging and just accepting that. It kind of gives you a baseline for moving forward. Like what can we still do? What do we need to wait a little bit longer for? And it kind of probably just gave you that baseline for travel. Yes, exactly. It really did. And yeah, I think we could do it again. It's going to be hard, but we could do it again. Awesome. So tell us about the conference, your biggest takeaways how did it go? Tell us about your time there in Madrid. Yeah. Oh, I have so many. I missed the first day, I will say that, because I overestimated myself and thought that I would be able to just run on fumes. But I was so out of it between just not sleeping and then just disoriented. So it was not coherent. But I'm rewatching a lot of the recordings and catching up. But I joined on day two of the conference, which was just like the heavy science day. <laughs> And um, like I said, before the conference, I read posts and I read about a little bit of Shvela shared some things that they're working on in research. Before conference, as I said, to me, a cure just seemed unbelievable. Like it kind of just seemed like future. Yeah, like science fiction. Like you're telling me you're going to inject Lily with something and she might be neurotypical. It's just my mind can't grasp that. Right. And then I just thought, you know, a group as small as ours, there's so many more prevalent, commonly known syndromes and conditions. And who is going to give us any attention and funding? And I'm just so glad, I would say my first takeaway is I'm so glad that there are people who just don't accept those kind of limitations and that this is our reality. And so I was just so blown away by all of the incredibly smart people working hard on gene therapy, on gene replacement, gene editing, on drug treatments. And, you know, one day I'm really going to understand the mechanics of all of that. But I I do have a really basic understanding, thanks to some of the other parents breaking it down for me. (laughs) And sometimes you just, you need that. You need somebody, tell me in words I'm going to understand. Exactly. Break it down a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Like make it digestible. So yeah, I mean, I think it's just, I think it's really amazing. And I think I remember one quote, and I I don't remember which researcher said it. He said, it takes a village to raise a special needs child, and it takes an army to cure one. And that was just really impactful, just knowing that there are a, a, a a lot of people working on this. And I think that one of my first takeaways is, okay, this, this actually is possible. And I just didn't really understand it before. But now understanding at a very baseline level, it is possible. So your mindset was changed being there. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I would say my final takeaway, uh, the women, like the mothers. I was just looking at, so the, the conference ended with three mothers, Spella, Anna Gonzalez, and her name was Estivaliz. And 
I just, it was like a real life example. I'm looking at mothers who are just fighting, working tirelessly, going to the ends of the earth for their children. And I was so moved. I mean, like, I don't want to take away from the fathers. There's amazing fathers, but mothers are the true change makers. And these are just a few. And of course, I want to mention Effie, who's just, you know, going through such amazing lengths for all rare children. Definitely. Just moved by their efforts, their fundraising, their advocacy. So I have to say, like, pers- like from my personal uh, view, I didn't go in expecting to hear about a cure. I just really went to connect with other families. And I left with so much renewed hope. That's amazing. Yeah. So went into it not knowing what's coming, what the future is going to be, and kind of down about her diagnosis and CTNMB1. But to go there and to be inspired by other people to feel the love and hear the hope of a cure in the possible future. That's amazing that you got to share that time with all of them. I can see how much it meant to you. It was just wonderful. Tell us a little bit more about meeting those CTNNB1 families um, from across the world. Because you said you had never met another family. Yeah. So here you traveled to Madrid. Uh, Did you get extra time with them outside the conference? Tell us about meeting everyone. Yes, I did. And meeting other families was the most profound, fulfilling part of this whole experience. Like, so I'm so used to explaining Lily to people and her state. I'm so like, why does she still have a pacifier? You know, why she makes certain sounds? She's still in diapers. Uh, You know, why she has these meltdowns. And it was like, it was weird for me to not have to explain that. And it's just like this group that understood and embraced. And it was just, it was really cool. I mean, I have to say, like, one thing you hear consistently from rare families is about the isolation. And I have felt that so much. Like, I've always felt like I compare it to, like, we're from Mars, and everyone else is on Earth. I mean, it just feels like that. And I'm looking at all these people far away, these Earthlings living their Earthling lives. And then you meet another Martian and it's like so hard to describe someone who truly understands. They're one of us. I know. It's like (laughs) no one understands. You know, they can try, they can empathize, they can sympathize, but you actually understand and there's just like, get it. Yeah. you live our life. I mean, like, there's no bond like shared trauma, I guess. <laughs> it's incredible. There, there's nothing more instant. And there's not a more instant connection that I've ever had in my entire life. So, um, so it's true. just, it's indescribable. Yeah. And exactly. And I have to say for me, I have often struggled with trying to reconcile, you know, why this quote unquote happened to Lily and us and why her life is filled with so much struggle. And I think about there's this line, it's a Leonard Cohen song, and it's a quote that says, forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And I really struggled to find that light. Like, what's going to make me feel better about this? And I got to a point where I thought, okay, there is no light. This is the reality. You have to accept it. Stop looking for it. And I think one of the biggest things I realized after meeting other families is the light is the people. 
and like the connections you make with other people. It's such an indescribable feeling where you feel just don't feel alone for the first time in so long. And, you know, whether the people are your community in the sense of your friends and family supporting you or the community that I've gained from meeting these people, you know, that's what it is. That's the thing that, like, what else do we really have? What else really matters other than our connections with other people? Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, and I will say that going from there, it was great. I mean, we talked so much, you know, I want to, I know I said a lot about what it was like before, but we talked about our kids, but we didn't just talk about our kids. We, you know, of course we compared schools and programs, but we just had fun, you know, like we, you know, we did go out for drinks and we talked about movies and music and we laughed and I have to shout out Bruno and Mariana from Portugal and Scott and Michelle from Canada and Effie. I was so excited to meet her in person. I, even though I felt like I already knew her and Robin and Kylie, just a few people. I mean, I met a lot of people, but I made really strong connections with a few and I, I really feel like I have lifelong friends now. That's amazing. Yeah. And you can just relax and have fun and not feel judged and not feel like you're being watched because you are all living that life. So you can relax and actually get to be an adult too. Exactly. Which much needed. Yeah. And I mean, I can, this is probably true for all of us parents, but we really don't get many chances to just go out and have fun without kids. Let her hair down. Yeah. So that was just great. And I think, That's you know, incredible. I just, I came away with all of this with a really like just feeling more positive about everything, you know, about yeah. the circumstance. Your cup was filled. Absolutely. You got, you got filled from the trip and um, inspired. That's, that's amazing. So much ending today, I'd love to hear from you some just advice or motivation. If there's any families who are thinking about travel, but they are afraid because they have a special needs child and just getting out in the world, what would be your advice to motivate them to take that leap and not be afraid to travel the world or put not put their life plans on hold, but to step forward out in the world? What would you tell them? I think that it's really important that we don't limit ourselves, our own life experiences and our children's lives, and that we should allow them to experience the joys and experiences that everyone else can. And I think that, again, it's important that we push inclusion and um, advocating for accommodating spaces and the only way we do that is we just keep trying. And I think at least try, you know, again, this was a test for us and it seemed to be okay. And I think that are you actually like anybody might be underestimating our children and that they really might uh, exceed your expectations and handle it. Like sometimes I, we, my husband and I are like, Lily sometimes does better than our neurotypical son, Rohan. Sometimes he's the hard one. Yeah. And I just think traveling and going to things like the, this conference and meeting with their, your families, like I had hopes for what it would be like and what it would look like. And I got 10 times more than what I had hoped. So I just think that, you know, we, we should all go out and 
live our lives as best as we can and at least try. Right. You're never going to know how far you can go until you take that first step and you do try. Absolutely. And maybe it won't be great. Maybe it'll be a big fail, (laughs) but you won't know until you try. Exactly. Well, I enjoyed so much having you on today and getting to meet you, talk to you and hear about your experiences in going to Madrid with your family. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Annie. I really enjoyed talking. It was wonderful to meet you. And I look forward to meeting you in person in New Jersey in just a few more months. Yes, I'm so excited. All right. We'll see you soon. All right. Thank you for listening today. This has been the CTNNB1 Connect and Cure podcast a place for CTNNB1 family and friends to come together for support and to build community. We hope this podcast continues to be a place where you can go for the latest CTNNB1 information.